background in John 17, and then um, I heard a few sermons, a series of sermons by John MacArthur on John 17 a long time ago, and that's one of the things that prompted me to make this lesson up, and the last time I taught this was about uh, 13 or 14 years ago. Um, but I saw this, I was looking through my old lessons, what could I use again, because I don't have a lot of time these days. And uh, this came up, and I thought, oh, wow, I love this lesson. This is a great lesson. So I started it here. And um, most of the information here, it comes from two people. And back in the day, I didn't cite my sources as well as I should have. But pretty much everything here either comes from John MacArthur or Gordon Clark, which is an interesting combination of people to put together. Um, believe it or not, occasionally I hear John MacArthur even quote Gordon Clark. Um, but I've done some research into Gordon Clark, uh, his works yesterday. I was reading through some of his stuff uh, just to refresh my memory. Uh, and reading him is um, a challenge. <laughs> it's a good mental exercise. If you want to exercise your brain, try reading the stuff Gordon Clark wrote. He thinks on a higher level than most people. Um, but, so the, today's lesson on John 17, we're going to focus on verse 17, but I'm going to read this passage uh, I did put it here in your notes so you can follow along with me. Uh, I don't remember if this is in the NAS or if I updated it to um, the Legacy Standard Version, but I think it's NAS. So I don't think I've bothered changing it. So John 17, I'll start in verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. That phrase there at the end, before the foundation of the world, always catches my eye now. I, Cliff and Cliff and I talked a long time about <laughs> what exactly that means. <laughs> um, and you could say, some people would say from eternity past, but I know that's not exactly technically correct. Eternity doesn't have a past or a future. But Jesus was with God before the foundation of the world. So here we have God praying for his believers. And a couple things he says are the things I want to focus on. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Then he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
Notice the also there, right? What's that mean? That they, you, also may be sanctified in truth. So you are sanctified in truth the same way as who? Jesus, the one who's speaking this, was also sanctified in truth. That's interesting. But what is truth? That's what we're going to focus on today. What is truth? Jesus, when he was standing before Pilate, we'll get to what he exactly told Pilate here in a minute, but Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? That's the question we're going to answer today. What is truth? So let me give you the most basic definition of truth. If you were to look up truth in the dictionary, we'll get there too, but what's the most basic definition of truth? Um, And that's a proposition that's true. That's from Gordon Clark. What's truth? It's a proposition that's true. That's the most basic definition of truth that we can come up with. But that doesn't really answer our question, what exactly is truth? So we're going to look at that more. Truth determines what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. There are some false views of truth that I'll cover here briefly. Uh, I did not put these in your notes here, so I'll read them to you. Um, The first false view of truth that I want you to consider is called relativism. It's the theory that truth and moral values are not absolute, but are relative to the person or people holding them. Truth, then, is whatever people think it is, or whatever they think it is to them. In that definition of truth, if truth is whatever you think it is, then what's right for you or what's truth for you is not maybe necessarily truth for the person sitting next to you, right? Subjectivism. First one is relativism. Truth is relative to the person holding it. Subjectivism says the the theory that truth is limited to experience and that transcendent or absolute, absolute truth is impossible. So truth is what you feel is right. So relativism says truth is what you think is right. Subjectivism says truth is what you feel is right. But again, here you have, if you think something is truth based on what you feel is truth, that doesn't necessarily apply to the person sitting next to you, right? Their truth is different than that. So relativism is truth is whatever anyone thinks it is. Subjectivism is truth is what feels right. And then there's pragmatism, which you can probably guess what that is. The theory that practical consequences determine meaning and truth or value. Truth is what works or what works for you. So again, if truth is what works for you, that same truth might not be true for the person sitting next to you. Right? And you see why these views are popular because you have your own version of truth in each one of these views. You decide what truth is for yourselves. Okay? What's truth is defined by the dictionary. If you look up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and I wrote this in your notes so you have it there, this is what you find. Truth is conformity with reality, fact, the state of something being the case, actuality, the body of real things, events, or facts, a proposition that is accepted as true, or agreement with a standard. I won't cover each one of these. These are three separate definitions of truth. Some right, some not. Let's look at the first one. It says conformity with reality. Actually, I'll cover that one third. 
The next two I'm going to cover are a proposition that is accepted as true or agreement with a standard. What's the definition, what's the difference between defining truth as a proposition that is generally accepted as true or agreement with a standard? So the last two there. What's the difference between truth being defined as a proposition that is accepted as true or truth as being agreement with the standard? Do you see the difference between those two? What is it? Jason, you're nodding your head. What? <laughs> exactly. Agreement with the standard is just the people get together and they decide what's true or not. And this actually is the way that most truth functions in the United States. That's the way we do it here. Um, right? Truth is a popularity contest. Whatever people get together, they decide what they think is true, and that's what they think is true. And if you think about voting and who we vote for, that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're, you're electing people who will enact laws that are based on who's the most popular, what do the most people agree with, right? And so here in the dictionary, they're defining one of the definitions of truth is something that's generally accepted as true. So truth becomes a popularity contest. Well, what's the difference if we say truth is agreement with a standard? Truth that's in agreement with an unchanging standard is truth that's absolute. Okay, here's the rub why people don't like that, right? Because now, if truth is agreement with a standard, what's true for you is also true for the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to them, and it's true the standard applies to everybody. That's one reason why people in our country don't like that definition. Truth that's in agreement with the standard means if the standard, the standard applies to everybody. So truth is the same for everybody. But if truth is determined by agreement with a the standard, then what's the standard? What standard do we go by? Who determines the standard? Well, again, it's possible the standard could just be another popularity contest. People get together, they make up a standard, and they say, okay, well, now this standard applies to everybody. But is that right, and is that truth? So the question becomes, who is the determiner of truth and what is true? Does God determine what is true or man? Obviously, you guys know the answer to this question. In the three views I mentioned above, man is the one determining truth. Man is the one determining what's true and what isn't. And any concept of truth that's relative to one's viewpoint, like relativism, based on one's emotion, subjectivism, or based on how well something works for them, pragmatism, is really no truth at all. The only real truth is absolute truth. And as I'll explain, the only real truth is absolute truth is truth that's defined by God. For truth to be true, as definition, it has to be defined by God. And I'll explain why that is. Man cannot determine truth in right and wrong. And you may go, okay, why? Let's also look at, before I get to that, there's one more definition of truth that I, I told you I wanted to look at, and that's truth is defined by conformity with reality. Truth is being defined by conformity with reality. Now, that's actually a pretty good definition if you think about it. Why? Because God is the creator of reality, right? So anything that conforms to reality, it conforms to God's truth, because God created reality. 
And God is the determiner of truth. So truth is in agreement with the standard, but only if God is the author of the standard. We're reminded of the fact that we call the Bible the canon of Scripture, right? What's that mean? The canon, canon with one N, canon with two N is the thing that fires a 42-pound ball with black powder. Canon with one N, one N, C-A-N-O-N, literally means a measuring rod, a rule, or a standard. The Bible, God's Word, is the standard by which all propositions are measured to determine their, determine their truthfulness. John 17, 17, God's Word is truth. The Bible is the canon of Scripture. It is the measuring rod or the rule or the standard we use to measure everything else. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 1, says, The authority of the Holy Scriptures, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. So not only is everything in God's word true, but God's word contains all truth. Think about that for a minute. Not only is God's word true, but God's word contains all truth. If you think that's a tough one to swallow, I will explain here in a little bit. But Psalm 19, verse 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. All truth is either expressly stated in Scripture or is logically deduced from Scripture. And the Westminster Confession of Faith explains that really well. Which says, chapter 1, part 6 of Westminster Confession of Faith says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory... Man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. This lesson that you're getting so far is a lesson in epistemology. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. Where knowledge comes from. How do we obtain knowledge? In epistemology, knowledge and truth are synonymous. For belief to be knowledge, it has to be true. That's a basic tenet of epistemology. For belief to be knowledge, it has to be true. You can know something, you cannot know something that's not true. You may believe a proposition that is false, but you can't know it. Knowledge is only something that is true. There is no knowledge without truth, and no truth or knowledge apart from Christ. And we're going to look at that from Scripture. So turn to Colossians 2. There is no knowledge without truth, and there is no truth or knowledge apart from Christ. If you have your notes, the passages I'll have you turn to, I put asterisks on so you know, see them coming. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. Ken, do you have that for us? Yes. 
the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. In Christ himself are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is epistemology. Right? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ephesians 4 says, truth is in Jesus. And John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Truth is in Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. Truth is in Christ. Christ is the truth. Uh, Go to John 16. John 16, verse 13. John 16, 13. Jason, can you read that for us? The Spirit of God is called, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And he will guide us in all truth. Because he speaks what he hears from God. The Spirit of, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth here. Truth and knowledge are limited to God. And because we have God's revelation in our, in our Bibles, truth and knowledge are limited to what we have in God's Word. The only way we can understand truth and obtain knowledge is through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, as he illuminates God's word. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 16. Cliff, do you have that? He who is blessed of the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. God calls himself here the God of truth. And he calls himself the God of truth twice in this verse. And remember from our hymn, it starts out, O God of truth. God is the God of truth. And those who are blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. God imparts truth to those he blesses. God is the God of truth. Without the knowledge of God as revealed in Scripture as the foundation of truth, truth becomes whatever man makes it out to be. Once you reject the Bible as God's word, truth becomes subjective. Truth can become whatever anybody wants to make it. Truth becomes a popularity contest. Truth ends up being whatever you want to make it out to be. But truth that is relative or subjective really isn't any truth at all. 
before I go on explaining this, when I first made up this lesson, I thought I was going to give this lesson two weeks ago. I thought the young people were going to be here. Um, but I'll leave this in here when I made up the lesson. Um, what I wanted to impart to the young people is that what I wanted them to understand is that we often think we know what's right or wrong in a situation. We think we know truth. We think we know how to react. We think we know what's the right way to behave, what's the right thing to think. But especially with young people, they need to learn that what you think is the right thing to do is not necessarily the right thing to do. God is the one who decides right and wrong, true and false. Every time you want to know what's right or what's wrong, or what's the right way to behave, what's the right way to act, you need to look in God's Word and see if what you think you're supposed to be doing is lining up with what God says you're supposed to be doing. Is the way to react, the way to think about a situation, is the way to react to a situation, is that what God says it is? With little kids, you see this all the time, right? One kid gets hurt by another kid, what's their first reaction? Punch him back, right? Hurt him back. But is that what God says it is? That's what the kid thinks is the right thing to do. But is that the right thing to do? And so we're constantly instilling into our children, that's not the way you behave, that's not what God says is right. But even with adults, we need to constantly do that. We need to think and evaluate. Is what we think is true, what we think is the right way to behave, what we think is the right way um, to function, or what we're doing. We always need to be comparing what we're doing and what we're thinking to God's truth. That brings to mind, too, what you think is what you do. If you get your thinking and aligned with God's word by reading it and studying it, what you do will follow, always. You do what you believe. The more you get God's word into your head, the more you know right and wrong, truth and error. And you can see it. So who is the one who decides truth? God is. If truth is decided by man collectively or by each individual, then man has put himself in the place of God. You see that? It's one of the things I'm trying to get to here. <laughs> if man decides what's true and false, let's say truth again is a popularity contest. People get together, they decide what's true and what's not. What they're doing is they're putting themselves in the place of God. They're taking God's role. This is called humanism. Humanism is the theory that emphasizes reason, scientific inquiry, and human fulfillment, and rejects God. Humanism makes man the focus of the universe and removes the one true God. It centers on human values, capacities, and worth. God is the one no longer deciding truth, and man decides truth. That's humanism. God is being misplaced by man, and man becomes God. Man is the one who is worshipped, and man becomes the determiner of truth. Why do I want to point this out to you? It's because humanism, this idea that man decides truth, what's right and wrong. This is, the origin, this is the unofficial religion of the public school system. This is what they think. This is what they teach. That you decide what's right and wrong for yourself. Right? Not that God is the determiner of right and wrong. Man gets determined what's right and wrong. And that affects every last bit of thinking and affects an entire worldview once you start teaching children that. Humanism makes takes God, they say they don't believe in God, but God is inescapable. God is an inescapable category. If you say you reject the God of the universe, the one true God, you have to replace that God with something else. And most people replace that God with man, with either themselves or man collectively as a whole. God is inescapable. Everybody believes in some God. Even the atheists have a God. 
Just like religion is inescapable. Everybody has a religion. Everybody has a theology. Everybody has something they think of God. It's just whether it's good or not, or right or not. So the question then becomes, what about science? Can science discover things that are true? We'll go back to school here. Can science and studying things determine truth? How does science work? Science works by collecting data. You make observations. And you take the data and you collect it from various experiments and other things you do, and you collect data. And then you take that data and you come to conclusions, right? So you do experiments. You see the outcome of the experiments. You take all the data you collected and you come to a theory. And you try to prove that theory right or wrong. What happens if after you've collected all the data and you come with your theory, you find out something was wrong or you collect more information somewhere else? Does it change the theory? Yes, which happens all the time, right? We hear new discoveries made and it changes the way science thinks about certain things. This is why science can't determine truth because science doesn't have all the data. It's constantly getting new data in. So to determine truth that way, what would you need to have? All the data. Who has all the data? Only God does. That's why science can't determine truth. Doesn't have all the data. Okay? That's another reason why we can't determine truth ourselves. Okay? Truth can't be obtained empirically, meaning we can't obtain truth through sight and sound and through touch. Well, for two reasons. One, we don't get all the data through our senses. Not everything is coming in all at once, right? Not only that, our senses deceive us, right? Will drove us here today. Driver's training. It's interesting sitting in the seat next to somebody who's learning to drive. I've forgotten what that's like. Anyway, so we're driving along and I'm telling him what to do, right? I'm teaching him about how to stop. And maybe I see something in the road. I say, watch out, Will, there's a deer in the road up there. Well, as we get a little closer, I go, oh, sorry, it's not a deer, it's just a grocery bag in the wind going across the road, right? What I thought was true, based on what I saw, ended up not being true. My senses deceived me. Okay, this is why we can't determine truth by what we hear, by what we see, because our senses aren't that reliable. You think you know something is right. But maybe later you get more information and you find out it wasn't. Only God has all the data. God alone is omniscient. That's why only God can determine truth, which is why only God's revelation, which he's given to us, contains truth. Because only God has all the data. So the only truth you can know, the only truth that's reliable, is truth that's contained in God's word. Because it came from God, the one who has all the information. God is omniscient. God determines the laws of the universe because he alone created the universe. He has all the information. When Jesus was praying to the Father and he said, your word is truth, it's the only truth. And the only truth is divine truth. And it is only found in God's word. That is why I can say earlier, which maybe you didn't quite understand, that not is God's word is truth, but all truth 
is contained in God's word. It's the only place for us to get truth. Does that make sense now? Hopefully I explained that well. But that's your lesson in epistemology today. (laughs) The study of knowledge, where knowledge comes from. The only place we have truth and knowledge is from God's word. All truth is contained in God's word. And as we will see from the following lessons, the truth is vitally important to our Christian lives. Go to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to spend some time here in the Timothys. There's a few verses here in 1 and 2 Timothy. So the first thing I want you to see about the truth was God's word is truth. And all truth is contained in God's word. There is no truth outside of God's word. And for those of you who are believers, you are saved by the truth. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, if you're not aware, I'm on the back side. The notes on the back side is where the verses for this part is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. Wade, can you read that for us? Before we go to the part about being saved in the truth, which is in here in verse 15, let's look at verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many good works are there that the Bible doesn't equip you for? None, right? The Bible will equip you for every good work. God's word is sufficient. All scripture is God-breathed. So here we're seeing what I was just talking about before, right here in these verses. Um, But before that, I also want you to note verse 15. Paul tells Timothy, and from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are what? What are the sacred writings able to do? God's truth, what is it able to do? Right, give you wisdom for salvation. It gives you wisdom, makes you wise. And what's the purpose of making you wise and giving you wisdom? For what? Salvation. God's word makes you wise unto salvation. You are saved by God's word. You are saved by his truth. We obtain wisdom, the wisdom that's necessary for salvation from the sacred writings the Bible. And the Bible is all that's needed to thoroughly equip us for every good work. Go to uh, previous chapter, 2 Timothy 2. You're in 2 Timothy 3. Go to previous chapter, 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy 2. 
verses 24 through 26. Tim, do you have that? 2, verse 24, verses 24 through 30, 24 through 26. The Lord of Lost, Lord, must not be glorified, but be kind to all, able to teach patience and love, to gentleness directing those The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but able to, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness and correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may what? Give them repentance, leading to full knowledge of the truth. God is granting people repentance. We covered this in the doctrines of grace. Remember this. God grants repentance, right? This is regeneration, right? This is God calling somebody, God elects them, God grants them repentance. He regenerates their heart, allows them to see their sin, and then they repent. God grants, gives people repentance. And the repentance leads to what? Knowledge of the truth. You are saved by the truth. And when you are saved, you come to a knowledge of the truth. And then he adds, you come to the knowledge of the truth and you is, that you may come to your senses and escape the snare of the devil. The devil is the father of lies. How you escape the father of lies is by coming to a knowledge of the truth. See that? And no longer are those who are come to a knowledge of the truth held captive by the devil, the father of lies, because they know the truth. They've come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, now go to 1 Timothy 2. One book prior. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. Dale. You got that? So here we have being saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth as being synonymous. When you are saved, you come to a knowledge of the truth. When you come to a knowledge of the truth, you are saved. You have both. You can't have one without the other. To be saved means to come to a knowledge of the truth. Hebrews 10:26 says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. To be a Christian means to come to a knowledge of the truth. The two are equivalent. To be saved means to come to a knowledge of the truth. James 1, I'll just read this one to you. James 1.21 Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. What is it that saves your souls? Receive the word implanted, 
which is able to save your souls. It's the Word. The Word of God is what is able to save your souls. We are saved through the truth, through the Word of God. And it is planted in us and saves our souls. John 5.25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. John 10, 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. The sheep hear the voice of God. And from John 5 we said, The dead hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who, who hear will live. To hear God's voice is to be saved. The sheep hear God's voice. The voice of the Son of God. Now turn to John 18. Go to John 18, 37. This is where Jesus was talking to Pilate. I mentioned we were going to come back to this. But I want you to keep in mind John 5 and John 10 here where it says, Those who are dead hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The ones who are the believers are the ones who hear the voice of Jesus. And then John 18 Verse 37. Cliff, do you have that? Who are the ones who hear the voice of Jesus? Those who are his sheep those who are dead and hear his voice and live. And those who hear his voice, as he says here, are what? In John 37, John 18, 37. Everyone who hears his voice is what? Of the truth, right? To, be, to hear Jesus' voice, you are of the truth. The believers are of the truth. They know the truth. They have come to a full knowledge of the truth. Believers are the one who hear Jesus' voice. Everyone who hears his voice is of the truth, and anyone who does not hear his voice is not of the truth. Right? Ephesians 2.8. Let me come back to this verse. I, I don't think I've taught a lesson in the last, <laughs> the last ten lessons I've taught. I think I've covered this verse every time. Ephesians 2.8. For grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith in what? Through faith in the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. The words of God. You have been saved by grace through faith in the word of God. In the truth. Keep in mind this is a big difference than what modern definition of faith is. I keep coming back to the secular world in this lesson. I kind of want to help you see how everybody else, their error here is wrong. Um, but even most Christians will say, um, they'll say faith is like a leap in the dark, or blind faith. Faith is believing something that you don't totally understand. But is this, is what, we're, is this what we're learning in God's Word today? No. Faith is coming to a knowledge of the truth. It's understanding. It's believing and seeing something that you know is true. Right? God opens your eyes, he grants you repentance, and then he brings you to a knowledge of the truth. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not blind.
Faith is something you believe in the truth that God has revealed to you. Right? Faith is a reasoned response to truth that God has revealed to you. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> there is no blind faith in Scripture. Right? Biblical faith is belief in biblical propositions. Faith is a reasoned response to truth revealed to you in Scripture. Salvation results from belief in that truth as it is revealed to you by the Spirit of truth. Let's go to 1 Peter 1. I want you to see this a little more clearly here. 1 Peter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Ken, can you read that for us? First Peter chapter 1, chapter, sorry, First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Since you have an obedience to the truth. Okay, think about it now. So, God gives you repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then what follows after that? Since you have in obedience to the truth. Right? You come to a knowledge of the truth. You become obedient to the truth. And what does that do? You have an obedience to the truth. Done what? purified your soul. God gives you repentance, brings you to a knowledge of the truth, you obey the truth, and it purifies your soul. See that? For you have been born again, verse 23, for you have been born again not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed. That is the living and enduring Word of God. The Word of God is the incorruptible seed. You were born again of the Word of God. Do you see that? Again, you are saved by the truth. You are saved by the Word of God. And the grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. And Paul also defines a believer as someone who loves the truth. Go to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. Jason, can you read that for us?
So as we'll talk about in future weeks, we have a war going on here between the truth and error, between what is true and what is false. And with the deception of unrighteousness for those who perish, how does Paul here define those who are going to perish? What did they do or what did they not do? They didn't receive what? The truth. They perished because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. To be saved is to receive the truth, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And those who reject the truth are the unbelievers, those who won't be saved. But notice verse 11. Not only do they reject the love of the truth, not only do they reject the truth, then what does God say? And for this reason, God does what? A deluding influence. Those who are in falsehood, those who are in error, those who rejected the truth, they fall farther into the falsehood. They fall farther into error, farther away from the truth. God sends upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 12, in order that they, may, they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. You believe the truth and you're saved, or you reject the truth and you perish. Men perish because they do not believe the truth. A true Christian, by definition, loves the truth. And your salvation is proved when you receive the truth as it is revealed to you by the Spirit of truth. And it's interesting, you find Christ saying, you have the three members of the Trinity, you have the Spirit of truth, you have the God of truth, and Christ who says, I am the truth. For those who do not receive the truth of God, God sends upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe lies. Gordon Clark wrote, Since God is truth, a contempt for truth is equally a contempt for God. Since God is truth, a contempt for truth is equally a contempt for God. It's true. I'll leave you with John 8. You may be wondering where this verse is. <laughs> you know this verse well. John 8. And Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. Any questions? I'm done. We're still got a little bit of time. I'm a little bit early, but um, that's all I have for today. Any questions, comments? have to get, they have to read God's word, right? Right? The spirit of truth needs the truth. The, has, the truth has to be constantly coming in. If the truth isn't coming in, people will believe anything. They've got to read God's word. I would implore them, pick up your Bibles and read it. I mean, pick up, you've got to have God's word constantly coming in. The only way to get the truth is God's word, right? There's no other way to get it. 
I mean, they, can, they, they need to read God's word and then you speak God's word to them. It's the only truth there is. Their only way to get to them is. Implore them to read God's word for their own. But also, when you speak to them, you give them God's truth. You give them God's word. It's the only, it's the only source of truth. It's the only way we can get the truth. And then you pray that God will grant them repentance. If, if there is somebody who doesn't read their Bible regularly, who claims to be a Christian, and they're rejecting the truth you're giving them, then you have to question whether they're really a believer or not. Right? Because believers are those who God has granted repentance and given a knowledge of the truth. Right? Ken? What is truth? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned at the beginning, and if I had realized I had a little more time, I would have covered that in more detail. If there was one thing I would have covered. Yeah. Because Pilate flat out asked Jesus, what is truth, when Jesus says. But he says, those who hear my voice are of the truth. And that's when Pilate asks, what is truth? And the answer to that, you know. What is truth? God's word is truth. <laughs> if any at all, right? And we know that. Why? Because man on their own can't come up with the truth, right? They can't sit down and reason together and come together and, and come to the truth. We looked at that because they, they don't have all the information, right? They, they don't know everything that's going on. They don't know all the details of the universe. Only God does. Only God can be the one that determines truth. <laughs> How do you teach your children when they're in school in such a time? It may be wrong. They learn science knowing that it's very possible that they'll, science will come up with different things and it'll change. And even, like, I use an old curriculum and I use Rod and Staff, which is a Mennonite curriculum. The reason I use it is because they haven't updated it in probably 30 years. <laughs> And because back then the stuff hadn't been corrupted yet. They hadn't started changing things. And I think the Rod and Staff has been pretty good at keeping. And I really like how even with history, they're always throwing in God's Word. They're saying things about history and they, God's Word, Scripture is in there over and over and over again. Um, but I, I tell them that you, I, you read these things in your history, you read these, if you see this somewhere else, they're going to teach it to you differently. Or if I see something there that is wrong and I tell them. Because they don't have all the information. The only thing that you can rely on absolutely is God's word, right? Dale? Right, you, that's true. That's true. In the modern day and age, especially 
since COVID. Yeah, science almost doesn't exist. Where honest observation and conclusions are done. In these days, it's... That's right. Yeah, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? It's the one who squeaks the loudest, whoever complains the loudest, whoever... Whoever's the, who gets their voice out the most is the one that people end up believing. Yeah, right, which is usually a pharmaceutical company. Which is the conclusion they have to come to. Right. And it's interesting that you can look at some staunch evolutionists that were studying and studying and studying and trying to prove it to be true, and eventually they just determined that they can't prove it. And some were so wanting to, to reject the idea of God that they just decided that aliens came planet on the earth. That was the only conclusion they could come to. I mean, if you're going to reject God, and that was the whole point, was them trying to reject God. They have to come to some wild conclusion like that, because... Right. Because God is giving them a deluding influence, so they'll believe what is false. Right. Ken? That's right. But it's, it's fairly, it becomes fairly easy to tell who's being really honest and trying to understand God's word and who isn't. <laughs> Tim? <laughs> and we're going to keep focusing on the truth here as I go through these. I don't know exactly what weeks I'll teach and what Dan is, but um, this lesson, Sanctified in Truth, right now in my notes, it's 25 pages long. We covered the first five. <laughs> it's going to go on for a while. So um, it's a good study. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you've chosen us and granted us repentance and brought us to a knowledge of the truth. 
Thank you for helping us understand your truth today. Thank you for giving us your spirit of truth to illuminate your truth. And I pray that as we learn more about your truth, you would help us to be obedient to the truth and so purify our souls. Lord, may we come before you today, uh, forget about the distractions of this week and of this world, and we focus on you, glorifying and honoring you and praising you, the God of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.